Welcome to the Boss Podcast, the best of social selling. Your host, Mark McGinnis, Australia's number one social seller, author of Tactical Pipeline Growth and B2B Sales Trainer, brings you expert opinion, tactics, and discussion to help you get more out of your time on social. Welcome to the Boss Podcast. Our co-host for this episode is social seller and marketing extraordinaire Tino Ho from The Social Revolution. And our guest is Daniel Hukuli from LinkedIn. So Daniel is based in Singapore with an APAC and China focus. He's a social media content marketing strategist. On behalf of LinkedIn, he delivers client-specific consultancy workshop for some of LinkedIn's largest and most strategic customers while also scaling content marketing expertise to LinkedIn's own growing sales team. Daniel has written content marketing strategies and has been a consultant to many industry-leading corporations, including companies such as Lamborghini, IBM, Alibaba Cloud, PwC, etc., etc., etc. Daniel is also a regular blogger and has lectured at the University of New South Wales and Singapore's SMU all on content marketing. So Dan clearly knows his stuff in this arena. There's an enormous amount of value in this episode. So please grab a pen, a tablet, or whatever it is that you use to take notes. Daniel talks about the three pieces we need to address in our content to help us go viral, whether we are solo social seller or we're part of a larger marketing team. Before we jump into the chat with Daniel, Can I ask, if you find this podcast to be valuable, please share, like, and rate us on your preferred streaming and social channels. I ask this because doing these things will help others who are just like you find this podcast, and they too will get to share in the knowledge we get from our guests, guests just like Daniel Hukuli. Welcome to the Boss Podcast. This week, we've got something a little different, it's something I keep saying. We seem to have a, some, a new strategy every week here on the Best of Social Selling, but I'm sharing the hosting seat with my good buddy and fellow social selling guru, Tino Ho. Welcome, Tino. Mark, how are you? Very well, thank you. And mate, thank you for sharing the co-hosting seat today. I appreciate your help. Oh, mate, how could I say no? Right, it was... Uh, you, know, you knew what the answer was going to be before you even asked me, mate. So happy to be on the show. Today's guest is particularly passionate about leveraging content and social media for good, he says, and he's a committee member of the IAB East Asia and serves on the board of the Asia Content Marketing Association, otherwise known as ACMA. Daniel Hokuli is the head of content solutions at LinkedIn for the APAC in China region. This is an interview that Mark and I have literally been on the edge of our seats for, and what we're going to talk about today it's based on a book called Videocracy, if I'm pronouncing that correctly, from uh, Kevin Alaka, who's the head of YouTube Culture and Trends. But Daniel's actually gone deep into reviewing some of the key concepts around what drives virality in networks and the three rules of what makes it work. And so this is one that I got my notepad out for as well. But over to you, Dan, do you want to introduce yourself and tell us, share a little bit more about yourself and your organization, which is LinkedIn, of course. Uh, well, thank you, Tino, and thank you, Mark. What an introduction that was. Thank you very much. So my name is Daniel Hockley. I do work for LinkedIn. I am manager of the content solutions consultants at the LinkedIn across APAC and China. 
for those who are familiar with LinkedIn, my team largely works with the LinkedIn Marketing Solutions Org, the LMS Org. And my team specifically works with our clients as sort of like a red carpet that gets rolled out to those clients that are our premier ones to support them with their content creation, their content consulting, uh, and their content measurement. So we work with a whole range of different topics, including virality, but we also talk around brand to demand, thought leadership. We help our clients figure out how they can build an effective brand or an effective corporate social responsibility sort of campaign on the platform. So that's just me, I guess. Uh, I'm, I'm based in Singapore. I'm assuming you guys are calling in from good old Australia. I am Australian myself, so uh, I do miss home during the COVID period. I haven't had a chance to go back for nearly a year now. And so uh, can't wait to, uh, to come back home and visit the family and friends back there as well. Mate, it sounds like you've got the keys to the car in relation to content on LinkedIn. I just can't wait for this. This is going to be fantastic. Yeah, we, we, we look a lot closely at content on LinkedIn, definitely. And there's still definitely a bunch of learnings that we need to do. I mean, we've launched a whole bunch of new products recently. You know, LinkedIn Stories has just come out. Events is another one that we're, we're playing heavily on. LinkedIn Live. There's a whole range of these great new organically based, they don't actually have paid models attached to them yet, content vessels on the, on the LinkedIn platform to use. But then we also have the regular sponsored content, carousel ads, video as well. So yeah, we're looking closely at sort of the, the larger trends that we're seeing also with other social platforms like TikTok, Facebook and Instagram and how those are sort of manifesting and then how then we can build similar products or, or unique products that are unique for the, the audiences that are on LinkedIn and its members. And Dan, you recently posted something titled a, a masterclass in going viral. And that kind of could segue into some of the uh, juicy stuff you're going to share with us today. Give us a little bit of background as to why you decided to publish that because there's some really interesting things that relate to virality and how it works, etc. But yeah, if you could explain to us what motivated you to get to do that or publish that piece. I've always been super interested in content. My career has gone from from journalism, a finance journalist in the beginning, then fell into the agency world and started writing for SEO and writing blogs uh, for, for clients. And then after that, I moved into content marketing when content marketing became a big thing. And, uh, and now I'm, I'm at LinkedIn. And, and each one of those, I was really working on content that earned value based on its creativity and its merit rather than how much paid you actually put behind it. And so the idea of understanding virality, how you can actually make something go without having to, you know, game the system and, and pay a, a bunch of money behind was something that I'm very passionate about. I think that we want to see high quality content on every platform and content that works because the audiences really enjoy it. They find it useful. And as we say, LinkedIn sort of makes them more productive and more successful in their roles. Yeah. The, the book by Kevin Olocker, YouTube's uh, former YouTube's head of video culture and trends. Uh, he wrote that book, Videocracy, and he did outline in that book sort of three core areas of going viral. Uh, and they were participation, unexpectedness, and then nodes of acceleration. And I'll go into some details about what each one of these means. Specifically, we're kind of talking about YouTube virality, so largely video-based content. But there is learnings here that can go across any kind of content you look to create. And the, the first one with participation, I think with any content you're, you're building, the important thing is that you want to you want to actually make sure that the audience feels like they are part of the journey or part of the the, the content itself. So participation when when we when we talk about that we sort of think of things like the ice bucket challenge or uh, the Harlem Shake uh, or the mannequin challenge. These viral videos that go 
where you know it's it's more than just one piece of video. It's actually a community or a collection of, of videos together that actually create this movement. And with those ones there, the the core element of them and why they go viral is because they're very easy to earn participation in. Right? It's quite easy to do a nice bucket challenge. You just pour a bucket of ice over your head, record it, and then nominate someone else to do it. So there's some social pressure behind that, but also there is this element of, of it's just simple to create. And I think one of the effectiveness things about viral content in general is a lot of the content you see doesn't take a lot of production quality, actually. Some of that stuff actually is just incredibly easy. And if you make the content easy to participate in and easy to participate to share, you'll actually grow a stronger reach or stronger effectiveness of your content on that side. So participation works quite well in, in, in that sense. When you say make it easy to share, what do you mean? By that, is that, is that some a technical component or do you mean easy for people to align with? Yeah, so it's this clarification, easy, easier to just create. One of the big things I think is you have content consumers on a platform, which is the majority of us, but then you also have heavily content creators. And I think certain types of virality content goes through because it's got a huge distribution or a wide mix of content creators doing the same thing. So Ice Bucket Challenge, an example, works really well because of that. But then you do actually have high participation in other areas as well. So if we think of something like the Kony 2012 movement, or I don't know if you guys remember Justin Seiko's tweet about uh, going to Africa, and then she got canceled while she was on the flight. Yes. Do you remember that back in the day? Yes. So participation also plays a role in that too, right? Where people can get behind a a cause or uh, the content itself moves them so much that they actually want to actually contribute themselves to that movement. And that might just be as simple as sharing that content. And we know that when we think about vanity metrics, the share is maybe one of the most valuable simply because it actually generates strong reach just by the act of hitting the share button. That comes with its good and bad. You know, there's a reason why Twitter now has just put in some friction within your shares and asking you whether or not you've actually read the article that you've actually deciding to share. And the reason because that, it, because that can be manipulated in a bad way as well. But that actually helps virality quite a bit, right? Because you're actually finding new audiences and consistently finding new audiences with that share button more effectively usually than with a comment or a like button. So participation through shares also is another way that participation itself aids viral videos. So I'm, I'm really interested by that point there, Daniel. So my experience with shares is that they rate, they get terrible reach. So even if you've got a really nice piece of content, and I'm thinking about, you know, there was a video from Tom Bolton, who's an SDR in the UK. But my experience is that those things, that sharing is just probably the least effective way to drive interaction. So I'm surprised that you would say that. It's not interactions, it's, it's reach, right? So, and of course, case by case basis, right? We're, we're working from a, an example of one there. I think, you know, when we look at sort of in general, how shares work, the idea is that they're supposed to go across your network and they, they work differently for every social platform, right? In LinkedIn, to the best of my knowledge, there isn't a cap on organic reach, right? It actually depends on whether or not someone is, is on the platform itself uh, at the time that you share and they're likely to see it. Plus our recommendation engine will also help amplify it based on a range of other factors, including relevance. So when that content actually does go out, there is the, um, the, the chance that it will hit different numbers of people depending on when you actually share it as well as the type of content it is. And the other thing to think about that is sharing is not thought leading in some respects, right? It's thought following. So if you're sharing consistent content out but not creating your own content, and that's a consistent behavior that you're doing, that can also really devalue your reach quite a bit as well. Platforms in general do want you to create content and create your own content. And so depending on that, 
uh, aspect as well, there could be a sort of a quality score attached to certain profiles or, or certain, uh, certain pieces of content. Very interesting. So, yeah, you know, I thought if you reshared the content, because it's already been published, so to speak, it was less, it had less reach or less interest from LinkedIn. Again, you know, no one knows how these things work, right? If you're in a similar network, there is a chance for that, right? So if those two people tend to have the same followers or same, same people in a similar network, it's likely that those people already saw the original post. There wouldn't be a need for them to engage the second time. And actually, a lot of the, um, a lot of the, a lot of the, the feeds actually do try and limit the amount of repetition that you actually will see of similar pieces of content. So there is that chance too, that if they are in similar, that the second share you know, there's probably a large percentage of those people who probably already saw that or, or had impressions on it. So they wouldn't be served that second piece of content a second time. Okay. Let's take a quick break, do a little bit of business and we'll be right back. Video messaging is huge right now. Mark reports his very best message response rates are coming from video messaging. And Mark chooses to use Bonjuro as his video message supplier. Because Bonjuro is now a supporter of the Boss Podcast, they have given listeners a massive 20% off any of their plans. Simply add Boss20 at the checkout. That's B-O-S-S-2-0. Give Bonjuro a go and increase your response rates by 300%. Go to Bonjuro.com. That's B-O-N-J-O-R-O.com. So I think one interesting thing that you call out in the thing that you published uh, in uh, the I saw, Dan, is that subtle but important distinction between traditional media and social media, which I think Kevin Locker sort of calls out as well, but you emphasize that. And that to me has, it is quite an important distinction around the conversation flow. Like it's a two-way conversation flow, not a one-way conversation flow. But also, would you say that that, that impacts the way in which the content is written and what, what type of content it is. Would you agree? Yeah, definitely. I read an article actually this morning, which was about Quibi and why Quibi failed, but TikTok actually excelled. In the article, uh, which I can share with you guys afterwards if you want to put it in the show notes, was around, it, they, they're calling it the entertainment value curve. And one of the elements here is like, there's a difference between content that had high production value versus low production value aligned with social value and social value is really sort of like that level of personal connections that a viewer has with the content itself. And, and that goes down to that conversation point that you just said. So when we talk about social value, if we take something like Snapchat, quality of the content is not great, but because you know the person, you're likely to like the content or engage with the content as much compared to say a Netflix where the production value is quite high, but you don't know the people who've created the content itself. And I think the, the analysis here was there is a fine balance between those two and the successful platforms do really well at balancing those two and finding that niche between social value and production value. And where Quibi kind of fell down was this idea of short, snackable video pieces at high, value, a high production value. Whereas when we look at those, the idea is that actually snackable video content on mobile anyway tends to actually skew a bit more towards social value. So that's why you find things like TikTok and, and Snapchat so successful in the video format, whereas Netflix is more something you sit on the couch to watch. So there is a difference between sort of that traditional media like TV and maybe Netflix to, uh, to the social component that actually comes out of, of sort of those social platforms that are largely consumed on mobile devices as well. 
So it's a really interesting point you raised there. What's your opinion in terms of the balance of high production value content versus content that's got that's not as high production value or got more social value for the LinkedIn platform? Do you have a view on that in terms of which way it skews more towards or what's more effective? No, there isn't actually. A couple of things that we find really effective is uh, we tend to think that people come to LinkedIn with a professional mindset, but the truth is like you don't you don't stop being a human because you have a suit on, right? And so one of the things that we, we, we've we learned is that actually uh, content that goes viral, viral on other platforms will likely also go viral on LinkedIn because we're all human. We obviously don't want to encourage a bunch of cat videos on LinkedIn because it's not really what we're hoping the platform is there for, which is to sort of make people more productive and more successful in their roles. But the idea of, of it being sort of like low production but highly humorous absolutely belongs in the platform, right? As long as it, is, it, it helps people in their, in their professional careers. And so one of the things we often think about is LinkedIn content has to be boring, it has to be buttoned up, it has to be high production. And it's not necessarily the case. We see a large volume of posts on our platform that are skewed towards sort of like news and industry events and white papers and those kinds of things. But the interesting thing is what we actually see do well in terms of engagement are personal stories, stories of people sharing their wins within their workday, are are stories of people congratulating other people doing really well. These more sort of personal career journeys and personal stories around products and how they're they're helping people's lives. And so it it feels a little bit more skewed towards what other platforms might niche in. And that's just because we're all humans still. Like it doesn't, it doesn't necessarily change. I think the main difference that you might see between a Facebook and a, and a LinkedIn is you go to LinkedIn because there's a reason to go to LinkedIn, right? You usually have a purpose behind the reason why you go. And that purpose might be I need to find a better job or it might be I need to catch up with my colleagues and understand what's happening in my industry versus sort of like what you go to Facebook, which is, or Instagram, is you just scroll through a lot of pretty pictures because you're wasting time at the coffee, the coffee stand sort of thing. So, so that's really where we're seeing the, the core differences between those platforms, but really the content itself and what works is very similar. Interesting. So that's rule number one, participation. Yeah. And unexpectedness is, is the next one. And this one I'm really quite passionate about because I actually think this works with marketing everywhere. And it's something that we lost the art of of marketers in the last 10 years as we've become more demand gen orientated. This idea of being unexpected and so when we think about sort of the type of content that we often see, especially if we think about it as an, at an industry level, we think about, say, finance content, or we think about tech content, all those brands, they tend to create the content all looks very similar. And the simple reason is, is because they all probably do very similar research when they're working this right? And we, we all say, you know, when we are creating content itself, research your audience, understand your audience as best as you can. The problem is your competitors are doing the same thing. When they're doing the exactly same thing, you all start to turn out the same type of content, right? And very hard to differentiate yourself. And this element of unexpectedness is really there in virality that isn't there in, in regular evergreen content that we tend to see go out elsewhere. And it's a big core factor that actually can separate a brand from its competitors as well and make it stand out. So the unexpectedness that Kevin really talks about is sort of those weird YouTube videos like, you know, the, the Jean-Claude Van Damme splits on the Volvo trucks or... Um, Bed intruder ones where he's, you know, that they're hide your kids, hide your wife, these kinds of things, where an interview goes a bit awry. Uh, the BBC one where the child walks in on the background. These are all go viral because, because we've seen a BBC video a thousand times before. We, uh, we expect to know what's going to happen. 
And why that one stands out is because something unexpected really happened. Now, when we're looking uh, to create content itself, that's quite hard to manufacture, right? Because a lot of it is spontaneous or happens out of nowhere, but it is possible. And so when you, when you look to create certain content, the idea is really with unexpectedness is take what your industry is used to expecting in their space and then do the opposite. Hmm. So if I can point to an example, let's just say insurance, for example, right? Insurance is a pretty boring category when it comes to content and everybody sort of creates the same one. But then when we think of like an insurance company like Geico or uh, in Australia, maybe the, the compare the market meerkats, what yep. does a meerkat have anything to do with insurance? You know, and if you did your market research on it, meerkats, I bet you any money wouldn't be one of the core category entry points that gets talked about by the audience as wanting to see in their insurance content. But because it's so far removed from everything you expect, it makes it memorable. And of course, compare the meerkats, it's nice to compare the market, which is probably one of the reasons why they did it. But it also makes that area of that brand stand out significantly with its content. So the fact that now that they've got like a whole family of meerkats going and, and, and they're creating their own different types of content and, and marketing campaigns, that brand has taken on a life of its own in some ways. And so either you're an individual doing social selling or thought leadership, or you're a, um, or a brand doing marketing itself, the, the biggest thing you can, you can make is to not be remembered. And the quickest way to not be remembered is to do what everybody else is doing, right? To be the same sameness of content out there. We often see on LinkedIn, this is an epidemic. Like we, um, the, the use of stock imagery and the same stock imagery throughout that industry, specific industries is always an issue that we, we have to contend with when we do our consulting. It's to say, look, your competitors are using the exact same one. If I took your logo away, your audience wouldn't even know that you created this content or this specific research report that you spent three months doing. The idea is you need to think about an interesting way to deliver this and to be unexpected in that delivery. So you can manufacture unexpectedness. It's just having a really good, strong knowledge of what your competitors are doing and what you maybe would call best practice in your industry. And then turn that best practice on its head and do your own thing and separate yourself. So if we follow your advice, Daniel, it's expect the unexpected. Yeah. Actually, sometimes doing the opposite to what your audience expects is, uh, is more effective at going viral and getting reach than doing what they actually expect and what they actually want. You think of some of those more innovative companies as well, like Tesla, like they do the same thing, right? They, they could have created themselves as a car manufacturing company the same way as everyone else does, but they didn't. And now they're considered innovative. And so innovation and unexpectedness uh, are hand in hand. If you want to be seen as an innovative person or an innovative brand, the, the quickest way to do that with your marketing is to be unexpected and to deliver a level of unexpectedness in your content. Seems like it's very difficult to do deliberately. You know, just listening to you map that out. And I'm just wondering how, how you might be able to do that as a marketing team or as an individual. You know, would it be as simple as, you know, writing down what you think a stock standard car advertising ploy might be and then take a position at 180 degrees? Or is it a bit more creative than that? It can be a bit more creative than that. So I'll give you an example of something I did recently. So I wanted to go on a bit of a rant about the same sameness of content and the safeness of content. Like we, we all you know, probably work with regulations within our business that we can and can't talk about. And so the problem with that is that obviously then you all start to look like your competitors, as, as I've just said before. So I wrote a post on LinkedIn of that exact topic. But the unexpectedness element of it was I, I alluded it to being exactly like the band Nickelback. And I said, you know, 
The problem with Nickelback is that it's so safe rock content that it seems disingenuous in terms of it. Now, I don't know if you guys are Nickelback fans. I apologize if you are. And also to the audience. But it's kind of true, right? Like it's it's no rage against the machine, you know what I mean? So yeah. in, in that in that respect, there is a little bit of inauthenticity that comes out of being safe. And so that conversation I wanted to have around marketing doing that, the unexpectedness thing I threw in there was the meme of uh, the lead singer of Nickelback, the Jad Broger, holding that you know look at this graph sort of meme. And geez, people got upset. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, it, it's, uh, there were, the Nickelback fans came out in droves to defend the, the allegation that their content was same, same and safe. And that actually aided virality of that post because it actually generated a ton of comments, started a discussion, and the unexpectedness part of it was really the insertion of Nickelback to a, to a marketing conversation. So there, there are ways you can do it. And, and a simple way is like, if there's a story or something that you want to say, whether it's a piece of data or an insight, you want to do it, find a cool way. And pop culture is obviously the, the quick hack there to align it together. And that's a good real recipe for building unexpected content. Oh my God, I've just realized how sane I am. I feel terrible. <laughs> I've already done so I've got a little bit. <laughs> Thanks, Dan. Great. I feel great. But, but, it, but it does, it goes back to that point of as a marketer, you know, the number one sin of a marketer is to not be remembered. And if, if nobody remembers the content you've created, what's the point of creating it in the first place? The goal it shouldn't have to necessarily be go viral, but that's a nice effect of you being remembered is that people actually feel engaged to participate in that viral content or that they remember it because they only have to see it once. You know, I, you guys saw that Burger King, recent Burger King campaign where they showed the moldy burger. Do you remember that? No, I don't. No. So they, uh, they decided to run a whole campaign. It actually won a Khan Award this year. Of They showed a, a Whopper going moldy. You know, the essence behind it was that they have no artificial flavors because everybody knows that urban legend of the cheeseburger that sits there for five years and never ages. Oh, this is one that's 50 years old or something? Yeah, yeah, right, because of all the preservatives in it. Whereas Burger King wanted to say, well, we're different, right? I'm going to show you something that's bold, controversial, unexpected, that you would never expect a fast food company to show you, which is our hamburger getting moldy and old and, and disgusting. And they ran with that moldy burger in, in billboards and TV commercials and everything else. And, you know, their share price has, since it went out, I think in February, their share price of Burger King has consistently gone up because of it. And you can say that that's largely down to good quality marketing that's designed to separate itself from A, its competitor, which has a reputation of using preservatives. And B, you don't forget the creative. It stands out. It's an interesting example as well of, of how you can be unexpected. It, it takes some balls, though, to do. Mm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, I would imagine there'd be a lot of brands that would be very nervous about that. For sure. Let's take a quick break, do a little bit of business, and we'll be right back. If you need more conversations with your ideal buyers or to simply sharpen your prospecting skills, check out Mark's latest book, Tactical Pipeline Growth. It's a complete prospecting guide. It outlines step-by-step the process to build a strong and healthy pipeline. Bark has included a huge amount of valuable sales material, such as templates, call and email scripts, the best cadence plans, as well as social selling templates for you to use and start prospecting straight away. Tactical pipeline growth is available from Amazon or directly from www.markmc.co/tpg. 
So you're in your role at LinkedIn, Daniel, you go into large organizations and take this mindset with you and you know talk to the marketing teams about how they can do this. Is this what you're doing on a day-to-day basis, your team's doing on a day-to-day basis? Largely, yes. So these are some of the same of the topics we're talking about with them, uh, especially if it's, if it's creative related. You know, we often see a lot of brands play safe and playing safe will minimize the ability for you to earn your audiences and minimize you to increase reach. Of course, you're not going to get into trouble. But the idea is LinkedIn in general is a pretty safe platform. And the reason simply is that there's a real lack of anonymity on our platform compared to, say, a Twitter or a Facebook. And because of that lack of anonymity and people can see where you work, people tend to behave themselves and be left like a troll on the platform for that simple reason. It still happens, but, but it's, it's not as prevalent as some of the other social platforms. There's also friction on that too, right? The fact that you have to be less anonymous on our platform means that there usually tends to be less harder work for, for people to build bots and those kinds of things as well. Again, still happens, but it's not as, not as um, systemic or endemic as you might find on other platforms. But in short, this is, this is kind of the things I, I want to do because I would love to see super, super compelling, original, interesting content on the LinkedIn platform. Not every company needs to create a white paper. Why don't you try a video and, and try a, a, a video with some babies or a cat or something that people love to see and, and use some of these viral techniques that work on other platforms on the LinkedIn platform and see how well it, it, it manifests and works for you. Mm. Yeah, I think that's great. I, I didn't know that this arm of LinkedIn existed, so a business with that type of spend, so I'm not surprised. But it's great that, that it exists. I think this is part of the business that not many people get to see. So It's also like, you know, there, there still is a place for the rational thinking, the decision-making, the heavy research. Like this is also a reason that people come to LinkedIn. But the other thing to remember is that this is a social platform. And so you need to be social, especially if you're looking at building your social selling. The idea is people have to fall in love with you and your content. And if you're boring and rehashing what everybody else is doing, it's hard for you to to go gain a following, right? If we think about people who have done really well in this, right? If we think of maybe like a, a Gary Vaynerchuk, Right. If you think about the type of content he puts out, you know, like or love him in terms of his content, he's generated a following because he does stand out very good with his personal branding. And he's also very good with uh, being controversial and having some level of unexpectedness into the content he puts in. He also was quite good with the participation side in getting people to comment and like his posts, responding in AMAs and these kinds of things as well. And I think if you're wanting to grow an audience following a, a large customer base, on platforms like LinkedIn, the idea of availability and you you being engaging back with your audience on the posts that you put up and being open to debate and being open to to being approachable is incredibly important element and, and part of that social tac- uh, social strategy you should be having. Mm-hmm. So that takes us to rule number three: acceleration, nodes of acceleration. So again, this is virality takes place according to Kevin is when the discoverability of a piece of content stops and people start searching for it instead, right? So they're turning away from social media platforms and start Googling video or Googling the piece of content themselves. Not many pieces of content get to that, got to that element. But a way to accelerate your, your discoverability in the beginning is really connecting yourself to nodes of influence. And these, these are entities or individuals who have large followings. We call them influencers or KOLs, but they could also be media uh, outlets like a, a CNN or a BBC or, or a Daily Mail. And the idea is if those guys cover you, then suddenly your content takes off. And so the plan for virality, if, if that's where you're aiming to go for, is 
is to really think about your distribution strategy on this and really think about ways that you can reach your target audience, but also make people who are influ- influential in your target audience to also share that content out and to, and to talk about it. So a couple of things to think about there is identify key nodes of influence in the target audience that you're trying to reach. Maybe it's industry thought leaders, uh, maybe it's uh, trade publications, and get your content in front, of the, in front of them as well, especially on the social media context, and get them to actually share it on their social medias as well. So it's not just about quality of content. It's not just about being different. It's actually also about actually having a good, strong distribution strategy and understanding different tactics and ways to, to increase that reach, not just by letting the organic search go or not just putting paid behind it, but also tapping into people who can actually help amplify that content out on your behalf. And, and does that happen by things like, you know, tagging people in posts, that sort of thing? Like- it definitely does. That's a great way to do it. The other way, you know, if you've written a, a particularly strong blog and you might have published it on LinkedIn Publishing, the idea then you might, might, might want to talk to a, a trade magazine or a trade blog about getting it published there as well and getting them to share it out as well. So yes, uh, tagging is a really great way to do that actually because uh, at least on LinkedIn platform, you, you do get notified when somebody tags you into a post. And so that obviously encourages a response, encourages participation. And also, you know, if they agree with the post or even disagree, then, then you're likely to get some good, some level of engagement from them. And that engagement also, again, talking specifically on LinkedIn, actually has the ability to, to increase visibility organically too, because the recommendation on link, uh, engine on LinkedIn often recommends uh, comments or posts from people in your network and also people who are, are close to that network as well. So you might, as you scroll through your LinkedIn feed, the odd recommendation from somebody who isn't part of your network, but somebody in your network has engaged on that post. Yes. And so, so that's, that's a great way where you're earning reach, right? That person's post is, is now earning reach to you who was not in their network and is now seeing that organically for the first time. And that, the reason why that's happened is because someone in your network has actually engaged with it. Is there a rating for comments provide a stronger level of engagement than just a, a like, for example? I don't know the answer to that, unfortunately. I don't know. Okay. There's thousands of factors that go into what gets recommended to you. So unfortunately, I, I believe some of that stuff is included for sure, but, but I don't know the exact. So if we, as long as we're driving some form of interaction, we're on the right path as far as you, you're concerned. And relevance. So interaction and relevance is also important. Based on your engagement history, there is a good chance that uh, you'll be served content that all algorithms think that you would like to see more of. YouTube's algorithm, you can clearly see this, right? You watch one video on Formula One, suddenly your feed's full of Formula One videos, right? And so the, the idea here is that's a recommendation engine looking at your past engagement history. So what you engage with in the past will likely also influence what gets served to you organically in the future. Even outside your network? Potentially, yes. Yeah. Huh. Interesting. I, I hadn't even thought of that before. I mean, you're right. YouTube is very transparent in the way that it operates like that. You, you know, you put in, like you say, you know, cat videos, and then next thing you see, there's 15 cat videos there straight away where a lot of the other platforms, it's not that easy to track. It's not that easy to see. So it's interesting that what you interact with. On LinkedIn, I assume that if I interacted with Tino and with yourself, for example, and we interacted backwards and forwards, that would then fill my feed with more content from yourself and Tino because we're saying to LinkedIn, hey, I like Daniel and I like Tino. Give me more of those guys. But I didn't think that it would then say, well, hang on, Daniel's also posting about content. So therefore, let's give Mark more information about how to build out good content. And again, I'm, this is all speculation. I don't know the answer and if this is, if this is accurate. 
but you know, let's think about that for a little bit. And what, what would be the most valuable for you is yes, we had the interactions and yes, you'll probably like to see more of my posts if we've had recent interactions together. Yeah. Yep. And if I comment on someone else's post and the recommendation engine thinks also that you might find that relevant based on other engagement history, not necessarily with me, but with, with other posts that you've engaged with, it's on the same topic then there is a good chance that it could actually appear because someone in your network that you regularly talk to is also involved in a topic that you seem to be interested in. And so that it makes sense for it to actually also appear in your feed. Hmm. Interesting. I saw uh, you you called out, well, you called it the Jeff Weiner effect. Yeah. Did you make that up or is that an actual thing? We've hidden it in the... Uh, like it's been a, a running sort of joke in some circles of LinkedIn that if our former CEO, Jeff Weiner engaged with your post, it was likely just to explode. And Jeff, Jeff is one of those nodes of influence, right? There are certain people on every platform that just has a level of influence that, you know, if a Gary Vaynerchuk or a Richard Branson sort of engages with your posts, you're guaranteed to get, you know, huge, huge reach. Donald Trump, right, on Twitter, you know, shares your tweet out and then, you know, away you go, right? You suddenly are on the world stage. Uh, and that's similar with every platform. Um, and so identifying those certain people that can have that effect is something that, that I think if you really want to maximize your virality and distribution strategy on, on an organic context, it is about, is about connecting with those people and getting, their, getting your content in front of those people just as much as it is against getting in front of, of the average person. Sometimes having a, we could call it an ABM list in some respects, right, it's of, of influences to get involved in can actually be more effective than, than just throwing it out to your current network. Mm. I've just written myself some notes. Uh, tag Jeff Weider, Richard Branson, Gary Vanchuk, and Donald Trump. And every single <laughs> See if that works. Come back to <laughs> Yeah. I, I think, I think if, if that happens, I think you've got a good chance of getting some, some decent reach. Uh, providing they interact with you, yeah. That's right. Well, that's the big, that's the, that's the, the, the question, is it? Are they going to respond back? So we'll soon find out. Yeah. And I'll carry this with, with, with just that we're talking specifically about posts going viral. Like if we're, if we're looking for business outcomes, uh, stronger sales, ROI, better leads, these kinds of things, this may not always be the right strategy or the right tactic to, to leverage. I think in general, content should be interesting. So I, I do encourage you to think hard about unexpectedness and at every piece of content you create, ask that question, are people going to remember this? But having the idea of like making every piece of content that someone participates in may not necessarily be the case. You can actually turn comments off on LinkedIn, for example. So if you're thinking about saying something particularly controversial that you know is going to maybe earn negative sentiment and you don't want to be open yourself up to that, you actually have the option to, to make that happen and to make all the comments off. I, I Again, me speaking not on behalf of LinkedIn, but myself, not everything deserves a two-way debate. Sometimes a fact is a fact and that we don't need to entertain alternative facts because there's another side of someone's opinion. Not everybody's opinion, in my opinion, should count. <laughs> you're sort of posting against the wall, though, aren't you? Like, if without, if you turn the comments off, I mean, I'm assuming that you're not going to get much engagement. <laughs> sure, sure. But, but, I mean, that's worked for hundreds of years with newspapers. It works with TV. It works with billboards. Like, not everything requires that element there. And it's not something that you always need to encourage because social is a different platform. But in order to get a message across, you know, they, those, those channels also work well in getting the messages across it, it, without actually having to have everybody weigh in their two cents. Yeah, that's, a, that's an interesting point because I think one of the challenges, if you would look at it as a challenge for a lot of brands, is that if you turn on and activate social channels, then you need to 
from a resourcing perspective, be prepared in a timely way to respond to the audience and community because of the two-way conversation and, and have someone managing that. Whereas potentially you could actually avoid that by just having a one-way conversation, turn off comments, and it's, you, it's just the, you know, you're just broadcasting as opposed to just opening up a two-way social media conversation. Yeah, I mean, you could do it. It's not obviously a way that is always recommended, especially if you are in the business of, of generating engagement leads, uh, wanting to provide you know, opportunities for your, your business in terms of, of interactions with customers. But, you know, if you are a, a media outlet, like if you're, you know, a news outlet or something like that, uh, you know, your job is to cover the news. Your job isn't to entertain conversation. So it, it's different strategies for different, for different verticals. Uh, you know, a brand, I would say, should keep comments on, uh, but, a, but a publisher maybe doesn't necessarily have to. Yeah. Okay. Super interesting. So I'd, li- I'd like to bring this, round this down in the next couple of minutes, gents. So is there anything left in your basket, Tino, of questions? I'm out of questions, I've, uh, but I've got a lot of notes and I've, uh, yeah, a, lot of, a, lot of, a lot of things to work on, but yeah, some good takeout for, for me, so no, no, nothing further for me. Daniel, so people have been listening to this and just been absolutely blown away. There's so much content here. There's so many thought provokers, you know, things that can just make people go away and have a think about. It, it's a, it could be a little bit overwhelming. Considering what you've said, if, if I was going to ta- distill this down to one thing, and I, you know, I know we're not going to cover everything in just one thing, but you know, what's the one takeaway point you'd like to get across to people? I've mentioned it a couple of times. I think if you're a marketer, especially the goal here, or even if you're if you're an individual who's who's looking to build a following, unexpectedness. Like, have a think about how your content can be as memorable as possible and stand out from everyone else who's having a say, who's involved in the same field as you. Like this this differentiation of of splitting yourself and removing yourself out from what everyone else is saying is in large ways, a, a really great way to accelerate your visibility within your target audience. There's so many pieces of the pie in terms of doing this. There's ways you can do it via emotion storytelling. There's ways you can do this via being bold and controversial. There's ways you can do this by you know, tying it to things like pop culture or, or just you know, repetition of your brand. Like, uh, you know, making sure your logo is present in every piece of creative, making sure that you're, you're, you've got consistent colors and you're distinctively standing out so that people remember those. When we look at certain verticals like cloud, very hard to tell the difference between AWS, Alibaba Cloud, Azure, Google Cloud Suite. Like when we look at the content that comes out, they're all sort of delivering very, very similar content. There isn't one that really stands out as like this really original Tesla-esque style business in the cloud business. Now, being that person is not always the place you maybe want to be, but with your marketing, it should be, right? It's okay to have a boring product, but it's not okay to have boring marketing. And so the idea here is that you need to think about how you can make the marketing itself as a separate entity stand out and be remembered so that people then, when they need to think about a cloud solution or buying an IT mainframe or doing a university course, that uh, that your course stands out or that your IT mainframe stands out simply because the marketing has made it noticeable. And so the core thing there is 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 be remembered. Leverage that unexpectedness and, and try and be as remembered as possible with your with your content. Mate, that's a fantastic way to round that out. Daniel, can people get in contact with you? Are you are you happy for people to engage with you on, on social or through other format? Yeah, sure. You can connect with me. I'm on I'm on LinkedIn, obviously. Uh, so you can just look for me. So Daniel Hokuli. H-O-C-H-U-L-I. You can find me there. LinkedIn is largely my, my platform of choice. I'm not really present on any other platforms. So uh, yeah, if you wanted to get in touch with me, you can drop me a note there. I'm more than happy to, uh, 
chat. Lovely. Okay, we'll put a link to the article that we've been talking about the whole time, the guy's book from YouTube, I've forgotten who it was, and also your LinkedIn profile in the show notes. So, yeah, so I did say I was going to share with you another one to the show notes as well, which I'll, I'll share that with you as well. Put in Lovely. There. Okay. All right. Uh, Tuna, would you like to sign us out as the co-host? Yeah, we'll uh, really enjoyed that session. Thanks, Mark, for having me on the show, and Dan, thanks for coming on the show. It was great to get some insights from you. It's always um, helpful as usual, but uh, look forward to the next one, um, Dan. Thanks for having me on, guys. Appreciate it. No problem. Thanks very much, and thanks, everyone, for listening to The Boss Podcast. We'll see you all next week. Thank you. Please help others just like you find this podcast by spreading the word. If you like this podcast, please subscribe and rate us wherever you source your podcasts. Thank you for listening to the Boss Podcast. Join us next time for even more tactics, discussion, and ideas to help you improve your social outreach.